Good morning. morning. What's going on? Man, it's great to see you guys. It's uh, great to be back. And uh, thank you. Just thank you for your prayers. And most of you know that uh, my family once again got to travel back stateside. It's been a big year for the Barnett family. In the beginning of summer, my daughter graduated college. And so we went back and uh, hung out with her and rejoiced in all that God is doing in her life. And uh, thankful that I didn't have a a college tuition payment anymore. And then uh, we went back because my oldest um, son, Noah, got married. And so we were super grateful. Uh, Just trying to find a good word for it. Just just beyond blessed. That's the only way I can think of it. Just uh, so Noah got married to a very godly, beautiful, amazing, lovely woman named Lydia. And she's a ginger, comes from a family of gingers. So uh, anyways, very grateful. And we welcomed uh, uh, another daughter to our family. So uh, thank you for your prayers for that and just allowing us to go. Um, you know, I had the honor not only to attend, but I, uh, I was honored to officiate the wedding. And I I did good. I felt your prayers. I kept my composure. Uh, it was good. Uh, I, b- before we get into our study this morning, I wanted to make sure just I, I, I say a couple thank yous and a very big thank you to Chaplain Rob and Wayne for covering down for us while I was gone. Uh, I got to watch and listen to the messages. Phenomenal, just good, good studies. I and mean, we're, we're blessed in this season to have godly men, such great Bible teachers, and who are also just down to earth, you know, just salt of the earth guys. And they're jokesters too, which I love. So I appreciate that. Um, But anyways, thank you. Thank you. Uh, And thank you to our leadership, um, our staff, just for, you know, doing all the amazing things they do and allowing for uh, me and our family to go to be together for a really special occasion. So anyways, just want to make sure I said those thank yous. And you pray for Christy. She didn't come back with me. She's still uh, stateside helping out some dear friends, uh, and she'll be back next week. So it's just been Ben and I, and uh, you know, just hanging out. So, all right, uh, Chaplain Wayne did a great job of review last Sunday. If you weren't here, I encourage you to listen to the podcast, or you can check out the live stream that's recorded uh, of really stepping uh, into the doorway of Second Peter, but giving us a review uh, of First Peter. And so this morning, we're going to pick up where he left off, although with the context from chapter four and on, I I am also going to retread a little bit back to verse one, just to keep the context for us. And again, if you you missed it, you'll get a little bit of of extra review uh, this morning as well. But with that, let's open our Bibles. If you have your Bible with you this morning to the book of second Peter in chapter two, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to loan you one. You can just raise your hand real high and the ushers will be happy to let you borrow a Bible so you can follow with us. If you don't have one on your tablet or your electronic device, your phone. Again, it's second Peter. It's chapter two. We're going to be looking a retreading from verse one um, to verse 11 this morning. I entitled our message, Counterfeit Christianity and Consequences. Counterfeit Christianity and, and Consequences. So, Jim and Bethany, is this your last Sunday with us? It is? Okay. I want to I pray for you guys. Yeah. Uh, pray for Josh Bonaro. He is in uh, Iwakuni this morning. He's actually teaching at Calvary Chapel Iwakuni. And so you can pray for Josh as he is there. Uh, also, uh, congratulations uh, to the Rettler family, uh, Greg and uh, 
Masa had their, their baby, baby girl, Sasha, just a couple of days ago. And you guys are here at church. Amazing. So anyways, congratulations. Uh, omerito. Uh, see grandma and grandpa as well. We're blessed. Uh, the other thing we can pray for too, if you think about it, is just uh, Israel. If you've seen the news, uh, you saw that some reports up to 5,000 rockets were fired from Gaza. Um, sadly, a lot of innocent lives were lost and many injured. There's reports of even kidnappings and these things. And so, um, you know, the Bible um, directs us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem and for, uh, you know, the Jewish people. And so we want to be obedient to that and pray uh, for the nation, for the situation. And uh, later on to this afternoon, as we have our Israel meeting, we'll talk a little bit about that, how that might impact um, our plans. And so um, you guys just be in prayer for all that. Okay. All right. Well, let's do this. Why don't we do our normal routine? If you're there at second Peter, I'm going to invite you to stand. I'm going to read, I'm going to read all of these verses just so that we have the whole context. And as we pray, we'll pray for, uh, Jem and Bethany, we'll pray for Josh, we'll pray for Israel, and then we'll, we'll get into the, the message this morning. All right, Peter writes, of course, inspired by the Spirit of God. And, and you'll notice he starts with a contrast, so we'll have to explain a little bit of that too. He says, but there were also false prophets among the people, verse 1 of chapter 2, even as there will be false teachers among you. And he says, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways. And because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. He says, by covetousness, they'll exploit you with deceptive words. And for a long time, their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. And then he explains for if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and deliver them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. And God did not spare the ancient world, but he saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. And then also turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. The delivered righteous lot, who was oppressed by the, the filthy conduct of the wicked. Peter tells us parenthetically, verse 8, for that righteous man dwelling among them, tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. He then adds, then the Lord knows how to deliver you and me, the godly, out of temptations, but also at the same time reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who walk according to the flesh and the lust of uncleanness, and they despise authority. He goes on to say they're presumptuous, they're self-willed, not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. Whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. All right, we'll pause there. He'll continue on, but for us, we'll pause there. Now there's a lot going on. There's a lot to unpack. And so we want to pray that the spirit would uh, help us. Right? God has sent the spirit to be our teacher, to illuminate 
these very things that he has inspired others to write. So let's pray. Father, we thank you again for a beautiful day that you've given us here in Okinawa. And Lord, in many ways, uh, I feel, feel at times feel guilty for just how good we have it, especially compared to the rest of the world and some of the challenges and crime levels and uh, just society around other parts. And Lord, we're, we're blessed here in so many ways. And Father, this morning, as we, we think about families uh, huddling in their homes and gathering into bomb shelters and, and worried about their very lives, Lord, it's really humbling. But we want to pray for Israel and we want to pray for all the innocent lives, Lord, um, in Gaza and across from Gaza and in Israel too. Lord, um, in many ways, we don't even know how to pray. We're just praying for peace. We're praying that, Lord, your light would shine. God, that you would use these, these circumstances, this terrible situation to bring people to the truth of the Messiah. And so, Father, we, we, we want to be obedient to Scripture, but heart, heartfelt and sincere as we pray for a nation and we pray for the leadership, Lord, for Benjamin Netanyahu, for his cabinet, for those who are in power. God, that you would give them wisdom and favor and Lord, that you would do a work there. Lord, we uh, lift up our brother Josh this morning. We pray you bless him as he is teaching in Iwakuni. We thank you for Glenn and Fair, the family there, for the work that's happening in Iwakuni. But Lord, uh, may your spirit rest upon Josh this morning. And Lord, also we, we just rejoice with the Rettlers as you've brought baby Sasha into this world. Uh, the gift that you have given them. We're grateful that we get to uh, celebrate with them in this season. Pray that you would bless them in every way. And then, Lord, as we, um, as we launch Jem and Bethany, so grateful for the Ramirez family and what they mean to us, their time here, their plugging in and doing life and ministry in this season. And, uh, Lord, I'm not sure where they're going next, but we ask that you would bless them in every way and prepare the way that they would find great community, the next duty station and command that you give favor for Jem and and Lord, and especially just church, um, so uh, such a difficult process, you know, for so many to just find a good Christian church community. And so, Lord, we pray that you would bless them in that way, especially. And then, Lord, just speak to our hearts this morning. We trust that in this very unusual passage, there are things that you want to impart and equip and edify us. And so may our hearts be ready for that. We ask and pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. We take a moment, greet a neighbor, say hello to somebody new, maybe somebody visiting, and then you can have a seat. All right. Well, if you're familiar with chapter two, and again, Wayne, Chaplain Wayne did a great job and could give us a little bit of an overview and stepping into the doorway. Um, really, the part of the theme of chapter two, especially though it'll bleed into chapter three, is Peter's warning his readers against false teachers. Uh, false doctrine and uh, what that looks like, what to be aware of uh, for the reason that he doesn't want his readers, you and me to be, to be duped really is what, what it amounts to. Uh, I don't know about you. Have you ever been defrauded? You ever been scammed before? Anybody ever been deceived? Um, 
I have. It's not fun. Uh, after I realized that I was scammed, uh, I went through a series of emotions. First, I just felt stupid that I allowed myself to be scammed. Then I got really angry. Uh, then I wanted to go find the guy and beat him up. Uh, you know, and then I felt stupid again because my friends didn't help me because then they just started to tease me and that said how stupid I was for getting scammed in the first place. But for me, what happened, and I'll keep it a short story, is that one, one time in the evening, I was in my apartment, I was in college, had some buddies over playing video games. Uh, there was a knock at the door, and the guy who knocked at the door claimed to be my neighbor from downstairs the other, you know, around the building. And he claimed that his car had broken down, uh, had heard the noise, saw the light, and, and he needed some cash to pay the tow truck. And so initially, I'm like, mm, I don't know. And he's like, listen, I know it sounds weird. I'll go downstairs. I'll get my TV. I'll bring it up to you. I'll give it to you, you know, as a collateral kind of a thing. And I thought, oh, that's okay. You don't have to do that. And so what happened was I ended up asking my friends, like, hey, anybody have money for my neighbor? And, and so they willingly, like, yeah, sure. And so we, we gave him 80 bucks. And then afterwards, after he left, my friends were like, well, do you know that guy? Is it your neighbor? I'm like, no, I've never seen him in my life. <laughs> They're like, What? And then, of course, the story went on from there where then they began to, like, scold me and then laugh at me. And then they were mad because then I got money from them. I got swindled. And I thought, no, no, he offered to bring me his TV. But then an hour passed and two hours passed and a day passed. And sure enough, you know, I couldn't believe it. I, it was, I, I was deceived. And, uh, and 80 bucks in college is a lot of money. You know how much Top Ramen you can buy with 80 bucks, right? Microwave burritos back in that day. Shoo. Uh, yeah, it was not fun. A few years ago, Christie's dad uh, received a phone call from someone who was claiming to be my oldest son, claiming, some, pretending to be Noah. And this fake Noah told grandpa that he was in Mexico and had gotten into trouble and he was in jail and he needed bail money. And, and Christie's grandpa is just the most loving and giving kind of guy. And so he was about to just go out and wire money, but uh, thankfully he was wise enough to uh, call us because he almost did. And he ended up calling to say, Hey, I heard that Noah's in jail. And we're like, what? Uh, no, he's a Bible college. <laughs> you know, he's not in jail. And, uh, and, and sure enough, he, he wasn't in a jail. Praise the Lord. Uh, he was at Bible college, but, uh, but yeah, you know, the, these type of scams, are sadly too common. I mean, even in Japan, you read about, uh, you know, these people calling older people and pretending to be their grandchildren just to get money. And, uh, you know, and so th these things exist. And, and because they exist, right, we, we want to be vigilant, right? We want to be wise ourselves. We want to apply wisdom uh, and appropriate caution. And, uh, and it's important so that we don't get duped, right? Deceived. We want to be discerning. And we, we practice a situational awareness and learn to recognize, okay, th this is a little odd. This is a little off. This doesn't seem to, you know, pass the smell test, so to speak, because we don't want to get suckered. And we don't want to lose out on, uh, you know, two years worth of top ramen, right? We don't want to be taken advantage of. We want to protect what's valuable and protect ourselves, protect our family, you know, the things that we care about. Uh, that is the essence of Second Peter. That, that, is, that is Peter's heart pastorally. He, he cares deeply about the people 
that he is writing to. And, and you remember God, Jesus himself commissioned Peter to be a pastor, to tend and to love and to feed his sheep. And so Peter wanting then to be obedient and faithful to the call of being a pastor for God's flock, to be a faithful under shepherd of God's people. And part of that responsibility then is not only to feed and to love, but, but tending and part of tending is protecting. And that's what he wants to do. He, he wants to protect them. And I would say much like parents who seek to uh, protect their kids by preparing them and informing them and instructing them of the things to be careful of, to look both ways before you cross the street. And, and what do you do if you encounter a stray dog? You know, we, we want to keep our kids from harm and from the dangers of this world. And so Peter does not want uh, his readers. Of course, that includes us today. As we read this, that, that he doesn't want you to get spiritually swindled. That God doesn't want us to get defrauded of his goodness and of his grace. And so it's these letters that prepare us and equip us with practical wisdom so that you and I can be on guard against error. And knowing what truth is and then following that truth and and choosing God's ways over the deceptive, destructive promises of a, of a false gospel, of a cotton candied, watered down uh, spirituality that makes an empty promise of freedom. And the reality, though, it's just appealing to our flesh. The reality is it's selfish and it really brings us into bondage, not into freedom. And so what does Peter do then with his heart to want to prepare and protect us? He's going to lay out and you'll notice with me, especially as we move through chapter two and three unapologetically, I mean, he's going to have some pretty harsh words, hard words, what to watch out for. And so our study this morning is a little different. Most of you know, we make our way systematically. We, we usually go chapter by chapter and verse by verse. And we're still going to do that, although some of the things he talks about are a little bit mixed up. And so we're going to kind of take chapter, you know, verses 1 through 11 as a whole this morning. And so what does he do? He, first of all, he, he provides us a profile of characteristics of the false teachers, it's these traits, and he's going to develop that even later on. Uh, we'll get to that next week. The second thing that he does is, is he, he, wants, he, he warns us of the cost of falling victim. It's not just, you know, losing out 80 bucks. What, is, what does it look like? He's going to tell us what that costs if you fall victim to that. And then number three, he's going to describe the, the righteous judgment that God has planned and will bring that God is a God who is fair and he's righteous. And so he will bring that into the conversation as well. So it's those three things. So I draw your attention back to verse one. 
Again, a little bit of a retread. He says, but there are also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you. At the end of chapter one, Peter affirmed for us that the word of God is trustworthy. And he told us that the Holy Spirit inspired men, prophets, who God spoke to, who then in turn wrote the scriptures, took the rima, the spoken word, into the logos. And God has preserved his word for us as we sit here today and then open our Bibles and our tablets. We can read and study and meditate and, and dwell upon the word of God. And we should to read and heed it as it is the word of God. And Peter then told us, though he himself had supernatural experiences with Jesus, that you and I today, we don't need to have supernatural experiences to hear from God. We don't need to make a pilgrimage to some location. We don't need to climb some sacred mountain. We don't need to go to some remote uh, island to, to hear from God and to see God and to know truth. That we can open the Bible. And God has provided all that we need for life and for godliness. That through his spirit who dwells in you, if you name the name of Jesus Christ this morning, and the same spirit who then inspired these men to write these words, we can open the scriptures. And it's the word of God who then inspired by the spirit of God who resides in us, then illuminates the word of God. Someone once said that if you want to hear God speak, read your Bible. If you want to hear God's voice audibly, just read your Bible aloud. So now I would hope that we want to hear from God. I, I imagine that's why you've come this morning. That you've come with the desire to hear a word from the Lord. And, and I want to be faithful to bring a word from the Lord. But this is the word of the Lord. The word of God is the word of the Lord. If we want to hear from God, then we go to the word of God. Because when the Bible speaks, church family, God speaks. And so Peter reminds of this important truth. And along with that, he adds that just as there were legitimate prophets who were speaking for God, recording these words for us, there were also false prophets among the people too, that they were claiming to speak for God. But in reality, they were speaking for themselves. They were fakes. They were phonies. They were, uh, if you're my age back in the day, we call them posers. So there's fake and phony and posers, but there's also the legitimate and Peter basically says, and times haven't changed. Just as that existed back then, it exists today. What was true then, what was true in Peter's day, guess what? It is true in our day as well. And, and what the Bible reveals for us, what the Bible then tells us is, that is the scheme of the devil. He wants to draw you and me away from truth away from the word of God, away from scriptures 
And one of the ways that he will do that or try to do that is to offer us a counterfeit, a very deceptive, and as he says here, a very destructive counterfeit. It's a fake. It's a fake gospel. And it, and it often appeals uh, to our flesh. It appeals to our sinful desires. It appeals to the culture around us. And I, I really appreciated with what Wayne shared last week. You know, the idea he even says among you, there are false prophets among the people. There's false teachers among you. And, and, and that's a warning. That, that should be something that grabs our attention. That it means that even within the churches today, sadly, that we have, if I can use it, this qualifier, so-called pastors in the pulpits, so-called preachers on podcasts with platforms and social media who are not true to scripture. They peddle the word of God for self gain. They promote uh, a gospel. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's some other form. You know, anything of, of real value and worth, you'll find that people try to make a knockoff of it. There's usually a fake. If something is valuable, usually there's going to be something that's fake. Some of you guys know for many years, many years ago, uh, I used to work for Nike. And, um, and I worked in their flagship stores called Nike Towns. And anyways, it's another story. But people would come into the Nike Town um, stores and, and they, would, they would try to return or exchange their Nikes only to find out they're not real, that they were fake. And it did it all the time. It happened all of the time. And so the customer service reps would have to tell them, uh, sorry, your busted shoe is not real. It's a fake shoe. And, and most of the time people didn't know. And so they would argue like, no, this is a real. And, they, and they'd have to tell them like, no, this, this is not real. Like, see this swoosh? It's upside down. This is not how we make them, right? You know, <laughs> Nike spelled with the N, you know, the, now, some of them thought they just got a really good deal from some discount store, some street vendor. The reality, though, is that many of them were deceived. Now, some of them knew what they were buying, but a lot of them were deceived. And how did we know they were fake? Well, because we, we were trained to look for it, but we also knew what the real stuff looked like. I mean, how do you know? How can you tell what a fake is? How can you tell what counterfeit is? the same principle by knowing truth, by knowing what's real. I mean, the easiest illustration I think is if, if someone came up to you and, and said, Hey, can you give me three, 10, three, you know, $10 bills and I'll give you a $30 bill. We'd be like, uh, no, right. <laughs> or even in yen, if someone tried to give you, uh, you know, a 3000 yen bill, hopefully you would know that that's, that doesn't exist. Now there's a 2,000 yen bill, but there's no 3,000 yen bill. You would know right away, that's funny money. I'm not taking that deal. Why? Because 
you're familiar with the real thing. You know what the real currency looks like. And so you're able to discern this is false. This is fake. That's phony. This is not true. I'll bring it to a lot of your world this morning. You ready? How about these sad chumps who dress up like veterans and they pretend to be, uh, you know, in the service? A couple of pictures. Oh, that's blurry. I need a better picture for second service. Right? We call it stolen valor. Right? It's it's called stolen valor. You know, there's a website called stolen valor. Now, uh, now this guy I already know. I'm not, you know, come on. The sad thing is that sometimes they can trick the general public, right? They, they go out and about and people think, oh, there's a veteran and they, you know, give them. But the general public usually doesn't know how the ribbons are to be displayed, the patches and the rank and how it's to be properly worn. But, but many of you do. Because you wear them properly and you know what, how they're supposed to be displayed. And so with that, right, you can spot, uh, these are extreme examples, but you can spot a fake right away. Because you've been ingrained in what is true. You know what is right. We would say you have the right orthodoxy. Now, orthodoxy is just a fancy word. It's a Greek word. Ortho is a Greek, it just means straight or correct or upright. So when you think about an uh, orthodontist and trying to make your teeth, your crooked teeth straight or, or orthopedics, right? Correct your bones and your, align your muscles. And so when you hear the word orthodoxy, you just think doxy means to study. So it's correct study. It's, it's correct teaching. It's right beliefs. That's why we spend a lot of time in the word of God. And, and if you call Calvary, okay, now you're home for this season, then we want to be uh, rightly dividing the word of truth. Tozer said it takes the whole Bible to make a whole Christian. And so that's why we move systematically. That's why we take time to unpack these things. What are some of the characteristics that we can spot with these false teachers? Look with me, verses 1 through 3 and even verses 10 and 11. Again, this is a little bit different how we do it, but this is how Peter lays it out for us. The First of all, the, one of the characteristics we can find is that they're sneaky. He says they, they secretly bring in destructive heresies. See that in verse 1? Right? Someone comes in, they're not walking around with a t-shirt that reads heretic. Or they don't have a bowling shirt that says false prophets. Right? They're sneaky. They, they work in whispers and subtle ways. And how, what does that look like today? Sometimes it looks like where someone wants to have just a private meeting with you. To share these uh, exclusive insights. Extra knowledge. And often it's outside of the accountability and the authority of the established church leadership. And so Peter says they, they come in secretly. What else does he tell us? Number two. He says they want to exploit you with their deceptive words. Two things going on there. They're, they're deceptive and they want to exploit you. They sound good. They sound biblical, but something's off. 
And again, if you know the scriptures, it should be your spidey, your spiritual spidey senses going off. Like something's not right here. I never heard that before. That's like, that doesn't sound right. And the idea, you know, to exploit you, that means you are being taken advantage of. You're not being edified. You're not being equipped. That's not the goal and purpose of these false teachers. It's for their gain. It's for their benefit. It's for their private jet. It's for, you know, it's usually for the gain of their wealth and their influence and their platform. And we have to be careful. It happens. It happens in quote unquote mega churches today. Charismatic speakers, dynamic personalities. And yet they are not preaching a true gospel. They are padding their pockets. They exploit the people, abuse and misuse the, the sheep of God. And sometimes it comes in the form of a spiritual manipulation or a spiritual type of, you know, uh, overemphasis of authority, bullying people. And they guilt them into action. The benefit of their benefit and your sacrifice. And so Peter says, be careful. Don't get played by deceptive words where you become the person that gets exploited. What else does he say? Verse three says, by covetousness, they exploit you. And so they, they try to stir and feed discontent by covetousness. Coveting is a form of jealousy. It holds the, the, the false idea that, that we are lacking something good. And so then now we want, we, we covet what somebody else has. And, and notice that they stir that up. That's something that they try to promote and foster to make you feel like, well, you should be discontented and that there's something else. I mean, that, that is the, that is the scheme of the devil in the garden of Eden. It's the same trick that Satan pulled on Adam and Eve. He deceived them by playing upon the idea that God was holding something good back from them which was a lie. Everything in the garden was good. Now God set uh, healthy and loving boundaries. This is what you can do. And this is what you should not do and cannot do. He was loving to give them the consequences because if you do this, this is what will happen. And yet Satan focused on the restrictive created doubt and teased the idea that God was withholding something better from them. And so they were blinded and they were deceived. They were duped into a lie. And, and Peter says, that's a characteristic of false teachers. They will try to stir in you and feed a discontentment that you're not 
getting what you deserve, or that you're not being entertained enough, or that you're not getting enough. And it feeds into, sadly, a a consumer type of mentality that we can easily fall into. I mean, even sometimes we use the phrase, well, we're shopping for churches. Listen, I get it. We want to visit different churches and we want to make sure that that's the place that you believe God's called you in a season that you're going to get fed and loved and your kids are going to be fed and they're going to be taken care of and discipled. It's important. And and we're blessed. I mean, on, on this Island, we have some amazing sister churches, right? We're not in competition with them. They're part of the family of God, but I understand like not, you know, we're not everybody's flavor, but we also have to be careful that we don't go just with a, what is going to benefit me completely mentality. That we come in with a, a consumer type of mentality. And then all of a sudden you get discontented here. You know, someone says something and your feelings get hurt or your, st- your toes get stepped on. I, I would say this in love. That's a good thing. Sometimes this is where we get to practice then grace and forgiveness and And going to our brother and sister when those things happen. That we can grow together as iron sharpens iron. Kind of a side note, I think, I think sometimes it's easy for us just to bail. We just, and not realize like, you know, there are the relationships and we've made investments. We just kind of have this kind of almost like a consumer mentality. Like, I don't like this restaurant anymore, so I'm going to go to this restaurant. I don't like this church anymore, so I'm going to just go to this one. Number four, he says they deny the true identity in the work of Jesus Christ. I mean, that's a blatant one. That's like the guy that has all the medals all messed up. It's easy, like, oh, that's... Easy litmus test to know if a group or church or teaching is false is uh, who do they say Jesus is, right? If they deny that Jesus is fully God and he's fully man, that they deny the virgin birth, if they deny uh, his substitutionary sacrifice, that he lived, he was born and he lived and he died on a cross. And three days later that he rose again from the grave in bodily resurrection, ascended to heaven with the promise of coming back. If any of those things are off, then That's not the gospel. And sadly, that is where many cults will pivot. They don't have the same Jesus. What else does he say? Jump over to verse 10 and 11. He says, especially those who walk according to the flesh and the lust of uncleanness, they despise authority. They're presumptuous, self-willed. They're not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. He says, whereas angels who are greater in power and might, they don't even bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. And so Peter adds these additional attributes. In fact, he's not even done next week. We're going to like part two to this. But what else do we, another discerning marker notice he says they live according to the flesh. The idea is they, they, they make excuses for their sin. They don't live according to the scripture. They don't live according to the spirit. They have their own brand. 
and, and again, it can be really appealing. Appeal our, to our flesh. Right? Because I think there's a part of us, we, we like the idea. And it's good to like the idea of God's grace and God's forgiveness and God's acceptance and God's blessings. Who doesn't and who wouldn't want that? The mercies of God that are new every morning and the forgiveness of God that he gives us. But to neglect and ignore then the holiness of God and the righteousness of God. And I would even add the wrath of God. The call to repentance from our sin, the call to call sin, sin, and to say that that's not honoring God. And to reject and remove ourselves from that and to pursue holiness and purity. So we, there are those who sometimes just omit all of the discussion about sin and repentance. And they just present all of the, the great things of the Lord and the good things of God. Be careful. What else? They despise authority. Number six marker of a false teacher, false teaching is they they'll reject authority. Where does authority come from? Well, authority comes from the word of God. And so the idea is they reject the authority of God's word, parts of it or the whole of it. And they'll try to say, well, that those things aren't, those are just allegories. That's folklore. And they'll water it down. They create their own versions. They have their own Bible versions. They have their own interpretations. Mary Peter says, no, there's no private interpretation. And so we have to be careful again, watch out when someone starts to say, well, my, my Jesus wouldn't do this or my God would accept these people. Well, that's not the God of the Bible. And again, you find a lot of churches, sadly, that are on that course. The culture is permeated and wanting to then look like the world compromising on truth. What else does he say? He says they're presumptuous. It's the idea that they make bold, rash, spiritual claims. And sometimes that comes in the form of arrogance that they, they present themselves as super spiritual or some kind of direct line to God and God told me and God revealed to me and the angel came and visited me. They make these claims, but the reality is they have no real relationship with God. Again, they're charlatans. They're hucksters. They're knocking on our door and asking for money, but they're not, they're not really your neighbor. (laughs) Then he says they're self-willed. Self-will, they do what they want. They're right. Everybody else is wrong. Everybody else isn't enlightened enough. Again, church family, I realize this is a little different of a message. We're just walking through these attributes, but this is what Peter is giving for us today. And it's good for us to take heed. Listen, you know, one of the tricks of deception that we can find ourselves, maybe isn't an appeal to our flesh, but it's appeal to our our spirituality, it's appeal to the intellect. And, and it's a subtle appeal to our pride. 
where we want to feel then intellectually superior because we know more, we know better. We have some higher knowledge. And so there are those who will appeal to your uh, intellect by claiming to be intellectually superior. These deeper truths. And so thus, if you're smarter than the rest, then you can do what others can't do. Cause you have more knowledge. And sadly, we see this type of mentality with those who are in power today, with those who are, have money today rules for the rest of us, but rules that they themselves don't abide by. They believe they're above the law and they don't have to do what others do. And again, this finds its way into false teaching as well. They're self-willed. And then he says, notice they're not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. It's a little unusual dignitaries submit to you probably refers to the devil in demons, spiritual entities, spiritual forces. And the idea there is that they're, they're, they're arrogant in speaking of spiritual things. Sometimes you see the extreme of it. These again, I would say foolish and perhaps even misformed or ignorant pastors and spiritual leaders who talk about stomping the devil in the face. Or they cross the lines into the occult. It's this mixture of occultic practices and of new ageism. And it dabbles into the demonic. Gang, listen, we, what Peter is reminding us here, this is no playground. We want to mess with the demonic. And so there are those who are either ignorant of the fact of the power of the spiritual realm, or they're arrogant to think that they have any power in themselves outside of Christ. It reminds me of this account. You guys know the account in Acts 19. It's kind of a funny story. It's these guys. They're called the seven sons of Sceva. Do you guys know that account? If you don't just make a note, Acts 19, you can go and read it and get a little chuckle. Uh, although, it, you know, it actually happened. What happened was these, these seven guys, these sons of Sceva, these Jewish exorcists, they were pretending uh, to have spiritual significance. And yet they encountered a real demonic uh, entity, a, de- a demon possessed person. They come across one. And then they go and they try to exercise their so-called authority and And the demon then through this individual speaks to them and says, I know who Paul is and and I know who Jesus is, but I have no idea who you are. So scary. Acts 19.15. And then the demon through this individual jumped on them, overpowered them and gave them a whooping one against seven and beat them down to a where they end up running away naked and bleeding. They're streaking. The very next verse, verse 16. And so it reminds me of that. There are these individuals who don't realize that there's a real spiritual dimension and, and demonic things are not playground. They're, they're not something that we mess with or toy with. It's certainly not uh, 
something we should play with. And so Peter says in verse 11, that even angels who are greater in power and ability don't even act so brazen against if we believe dignitaries to be the devil. And I think it fits, you know, Jude verse nine, he, he describes a, this really interesting situation where he says, even Michael, the archangel in dispute with Satan over the body of Moses, which when we get there, we'll have chaplain um, Rob teach us on that. But, uh, he says he didn't revile the devil, but he just simply said, the Lord rebuke you. And so again, I, the point we can take away is that we don't want to play games with these things. Now we'll talk more about that, but listen, let me just make two quick points. We don't have to be afraid either though. The Bible is very clear. Greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. If you name the name of Jesus Christ this morning, you have the spirit of God in you, right? We're children of the light. We dwell in the light. All authority and power has been given to Christ. Thus we have the same. And so we don't have to be afraid. And, and number two, I would say that we, we don't want to be ignorant though. We don't want to be uninformed. You know, one of the things that Paul writes to the church and he, and he lists the number of things about don't be ignorant of, right? Don't be ignorant about God's plan for Israel. Don't be ignorant about the end times. And he says, and don't be ignorant about the schemes of the devil. And so we don't, we don't want to be ignorant, nor do we want to be arrogant. When it comes to the spiritual realm and, and warfare. And so Peter gives us this comprehensive list of characteristics, nine things we just went through, by the way, if you're taking note, so you don't get scammed. So you don't get spiritually suckered. And he's going to add to the list and the rest of chapter two we'll cover next week. But here, what else does he do? He also warns us of the cost. What will it cost you? 80 bucks worth of uh, top ramen. What happens when we fall into the snare of deception? Well, well, again, go back to verse one. Notice he calls them destructive. They're destructive heresies. There is nothing life giving about what the false teachers bring. It's destructive. In the end, it takes away from you. It damages you, your faith, your walk, your family. It malnourishes you. That's the idea. And that's really what a false gospel is, right? In many ways, it's, it's often, we call it a watered down gospel. It's light and it's fluffy. And it has no substance. It's like spiritual Ted talks, right? Or, or it's self-help seminars packaged and sprinkled with a couple of Bible verses and people gobble that stuff up. Church family, again, I say this in love. We, we have to be careful. Cause we like those little quick quips and sound bites and the, you know, tweetables and the, but it's just like, it's like trying to sustain yourself on cotton candy. Sometimes it's the other side. It's a heavy handed legalism. It's rules and regulations. It's a repackaging of religion. And again, it appeals to our pride. Or sometimes it's just a super emotional, 
feelings based, just do what you want. God's a God of grace. God doesn't care. Just go live for sin. And you can affirm this and affirm your sin. And it's been, it's branded as progressive Christianity. Again, I, I say this in love, be careful. Peter says it's destructive. It's destructive. It's not constructive. It's destructive heresies. It will sweep you away from the truth of God. And what else does he say about it? Notice he says, sadly, many follow it. Verse two, many follow the lies. Listen, large crowds don't validate truth. The metrics of attendance and profitability are not the sole indicators of the work of God. Now they can be, I mean, even for us in a couple of weeks, we're going to go to three services. Pray for me. Sometimes I get mixed up between first and second service. I'm going to remember the things that I say. Um, and, and by the way, there's been some question. Uh, second, third service is going to look exactly like second service. So we'll have youth. We'll have all of the children's ministry, all of that. The one difference is we won't have our Japanese children's class, but everything else will be the same. So if you want to sleep in, oh, they're your first service this morning. So if you want to sleep in. But again, Wayne said it last week. It, it, it's work for us to listen. And I get it. I mean, Paul tells us that the scripture says the same thing. Second Timothy four verses three through five. He says, a time will come when people won't endure. Notice that word he uses. They won't endure sound doctrine. But rather after their own lusts, they will heap to themselves. They will follow. They will friend. They will uh, attend. Heap to themselves teachers. Because they have itching ears. They want to be entertained. They want to be amused. And what happens, they turn away then from the truth and they turn then to stories, to fables, to spiritual Ted talks. And Paul adds, be watchful in all things. Peter says, many, many, many are going to go that path. And so listen, there is a sense in which we endure sound doctrine it's not always fun. It's not cotton candy. It's not clever quotes. I mean, sometimes it's a spiritual workout of the mind and the heart and the soul. It's exercising discipline to sit and to listen when we are used to uh, reels and, you know, 30 second videos that we swipe like boring, keep going. I get it. And sometimes it's getting confronted and we get uncomfortable by the word of God. And so I, I want to commend you gold star for you this morning. Because at the end of the day, it's good for us to endure. So thank you for enduring. What else does he say? He says, truth will be blasphemed. Denying the Lord. And because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed, verse two. You know, we, we should expect from the world around us truth being blasphemed. We live in a day, as Isaiah says, where people call good evil and evil good, right? Our world is upside down. And more and more, we, we see biblical truth 
being blasphemed against, being compromised. And yet, sadly, it's not just the world, but it happens within churches we mentioned, in churches and at the pulpit. And because the world changes uh, the definitions of right and wrong and what God says is acceptable and what God says is a man and a woman, what marriage should look like and holiness look like, even though the world wants to rewrite those definitions, God doesn't change what is right and wrong, what is truth and lies. Sin is still sin. And God still calls us to repentance. He loves us, he forgives us, but he doesn't call us to affirm or endorse or parade or promote our sin. We're called to repent from it. And so truth becomes blaspheme. And then lastly, we see in this passage that Peter describes the righteous judgment that God brings. This is the penalty that the false teachers will bring upon themselves. Notice in verse one, it says they bring upon themselves swift destruction. Verse three says a long time, their judgment hasn't been idle. And then in verses four through nine, Peter reaches to the past. He, he has a, 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 an old Testament Bible lesson of a precedent that God has, has established. God didn't spare the angels who sinned. God didn't spare the ancient world in Noah's day. Three examples. God didn't spare Sodom and Gomorrah for their wickedness. And Peter says, and all of them serve as an example of God's righteous judgment so that we would learn from them a righteous judgment upon a sinful uh, now, that a, 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 you know, a gospel Christ rejecting world. God is a God of grace. God is a God of forgiveness. God is a God of second and third chances. God is a God of love. But God is a God of judgment. And God is a God of wrath. And God is a God of holiness. And God is a God of purity. That's part of his nature too. And again, as uh, Wayne noted for us last week, Peter's message though, isn't without hope for us. Because God, in his judgment, he saved Noah. God, in his judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah, he saved Lot. Very gracious that he calls him a righteous man. They lived in a godless society that mocked the Lord. And many of us are in the same kind of world. We live in a time and a place in a godless society that mocks God and mocks the Christian. So where do we land this morning, church family? Take heart. We, we can know this, that God is sovereign and God will make every wrong right. right? He, he will right every wrong one day. That he will be vindicated. You will be validated. You will be vindicated for every wrong against you. And if we name the name of Christ this morning, understand you are saved and I'm saved from the penalty of our sin. And we're saved from the judgment to come. Because Christ paid for that. Judgment was poured upon him. And so by God's grace, you and I have been saved. And Peter provides a needed warning. So that you and I will not wander. It's a warning. So we don't wander. Wander from God's truth. But that you and I will remain steadfast in the scriptures, 
and stay true to the word of God. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word this morning, for an important sobering message. Your Bible says that in the last days, many will be deceived. There'll be many who fall away. Even those of the elect, even amongst People we know who once walked in truth and knew your truth, promoted your truth. And for whatever reason, they have been lured out into the world. We hear terms like deconstructing their faith and departed from their faith. Lord, we want to be numbered amongst them. And so we thank you for passages like this that, that help to equip us, to help to prepare us. And maybe it's one of those things that we put in our uh, spiritual file box and it, it comes out later and it's practicality. But Lord, thank you. Thank you for your truth. Thank you, God, that you've given us your word and you've given us faithful men and women who love you, who will open your word unapologetically who will expound the scriptures for us that together then we as good Bereans can read and to keep account Lord, that we would live for you. God continue to help us to be a people of God who hold the word of God in high esteem that we wouldn't find ourselves lured away into destructive false teaching, but that we'd stay true to your scripture, to remain in your grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen.